We have been walking through, this is the fifth week of our, uh, our series, Identity to Destiny. And we are walking through, basically, answering these questions. Who are you? What have you been called to do? And what are you going to do about it? We've talked about who you are in God, who God has created you to be, where you find your value in this world and in this life. And we've begun to talk about how to do it. What's your calling in this world? What are you supposed to be doing with your life? We've talked about being like Christ, being like God here on earth, the way that he's called us to live our lives. And, and so we continue that today, being like Christ. That's what we're called to do here on earth, is to be like Christ. Open your Bibles up to Mark chapter 1, verse 35. You might remember that uh, Mark starts out a little, little different than some of the Gospels. He starts in the, at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. He doesn't start with uh, his birth and, and go through all the stuff that uh, Matthew and Luke do, but he goes straight into it. So at verse 35, Jesus is already in his ministry. And he says, excuse me while I try to dry my sleep. <laughs> the next morning, Jesus awoke long before daybreak and went out alone into the wilderness to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. They said, everyone is asking for you. But he replied, we must go on to other towns as well. And I will preach to them too, because that's why I came. So we traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and expelling demons from many people. A man with leprosy came and knelt in front of Jesus, begging to be healed. If you want to, you can make me well again, he said. Moved with pity, Jesus touched him. I want to, he said, be healed. These words right here kind of set before you the life of Jesus, how he did it, what he did. I don't know if you've realized, but over the past four weeks and including this week, I have been using David's notes that he uh, prepares and he gives to me and, and, uh, and I preach off of them. And I'm getting better at reading his handwriting, which is horrible. Um, he should have been a do- I'm glad you are a doctor um, by title because this is bad writing. I'm getting better at reading. Usually I transcribe his notes onto another piece of paper in my own handwriting. Um, but I'm getting so good uh, that I can do this. And uh, he starts out this week, which is very funny. On our twi- 25th anniversary, we went to France. I'm like, David, I'm only 32. That would mean that I was married when I was seven. Um, He hasn't ever put in a real personal uh, illustration like this. So it's thrown me for a loop. And I've been trying to figure out how in the heck to start this, Um, how to figure out what to to do with this. His illustration here is he was trying to learn French as he was going to France because he was going to be in France and wanted to talk, I guess, with people, which is shocking because he really likes to be by himself most of the time anyway. And... uh, and uh, he said he, he went there, but he didn't do it, basically. He got some tapes. He, when he walks around uh, the neighborhood he lives in, he was kind of listening to him, but not really. He said one of the things that the way that you need to do this is you need to have a vision, intention, and a method. You need to have vision for what you're going towards, what you're going for. What is it going to look like, and what are the benefits of it? You need to have an intention, You need to be intentional in doing it. And you need to have a method in which you will carry this out. And so I'm thinking about this. And at the last service, 
um, I tried to transpose his illustration into something of my own life. I've been to France as well. I tried to learn to speak French when I went and had a horrible time doing it. In fact, I regaled the last crowd with my French. Bonjour, je m'appelle Michel. Comment ça va? That's all I know. Hello, my name is Michael. How are you? Yes, my name in French is Michel. Get over it. And then I was, as I was sitting here thinking about it, because it just, it wasn't working for me. I, I kind of said it and I was just like, oh, this sounds silly. I was trying to think of how I could do it. And then it hit me. This is a foreign language to me. David's notes. Don't get me wrong. He writes in English, I think. And he has wonderful things to say. And I've been preaching from it for weeks now. And I listen to him and he has great wisdom and everything. But the way he says it to me at times is a foreign language. It's different. And I tried to get up here at 930 and to speak his language. And I just couldn't. I don't know if you've ever heard David preach. He's been in here a few times and hopefully we'll come back some more. Um, David's a wonderful teacher and a wonderful preacher. Aren't you glad you came, David, to hear all this about yourself? Um, and he's just intel- He's one of the brightest guys I know. Can read a book and remember everything in the book. I read a book and the, when I turn the page, it's gone. <laughs> what just happened on the last page? Uh, but, and his style of preaching is very different than mine. He and I are very different in the way we preach. He's a point preacher. I'm a get on a train, let's see what happens preacher. Sometimes we'll get lost. Um, Sometimes we run off the tracks. I'm a little bit crazier than he is. He's much more disciplined in his preaching style. And so when I get up here and I try to conform to what he's doing, I stumble. I see where he's going. I see what it's supposed to look like. I, I know the benefits of it because it's good stuff. And it's brilliant and it's very smart. And I know God has given him this stuff. And so I I see the benefits of it. I see what it's supposed to look like. I fully intend to follow it. But I just don't have the method. I just can't do it. It doesn't come naturally to me. When I get up here and try to speak like this, I might as well get up here and try to deliver my sermon in French. Because it doesn't flow naturally. And and I got off the, the stage after the last service, and I just, wow. I was like, boy, that was bad. Everything felt dis, it just felt dismembered. And I was thinking about that. That's it. That's my illustration. Because here's, here's where he was going with it. It's being like Christ, which we are called to do, is a foreign language to us. It doesn't come naturally. Trying to live your life as Christ lived his, you're like, whoa. Are you serious? In 2006, on Texas OU weekend, living my life like Christ? It doesn't come naturally. To turn the other cheek doesn't come naturally to most of us. But that was one of his teachings. That was one of the ways he lived his life. To turn the other cheek. I'm not that kind of a person. If I turn the other cheek, it's because I'm following through. Thank you. That just came to me, Marianne. Thanks for that laugh there. Tithing doesn't come naturally to us. We have to learn it. We have to learn how to live our lives like Christ. And in order to do that, we need those three things that I just said a moment ago. We need vision. We have to see what it is we are moving towards. We have to have a vision of what it is. We, we have to know what the benefits are of living our life that way. We have to have the intention. We have to 
actually want to do it. And then we have to have a method in which to carry those out. We have to have a plan for how to live our lives. Dallas Willard calls this VIM. The vision, the intention, and the method. If you want to live your life like Christ, you have to have those three things. So what's the vision? The vision is looking at Christ's life, seeing how he lived his life, studying how he lived his life. How do you do that? He's not walking around here anymore. You can't go to YouTube and see his posts of what he has done with his day. The younger generation got that. You read the Gospels. If you want to see how Jesus lived his life, get involved in the Word of God. Pick up the text, open it, read his biography. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John told you how he lived his life. They showed you how he lived his life. Every example you need on how Jesus lived his life is right here. It's right here. The vision that you get comes with studying the Word of God, with being engrossed in the Word of God, with with walking through the Gospels. We talked about this last week, that if you really want to be like Christ, you've got to be in the Word, you've got to read the Gospels, and you've got to do it constantly. You have to constantly be enveloped in the Word of God and reading again and again and again so that He can begin to shape you. You have to see what it is. You have to have the vision of what it will look like. And then the vision also is, what are the benefits? Do you understand the benefits of living your life like Christ? So what are the benefits? What are the benefits of living your life like Christ? Walking on water? Is that a benefit? Did you all hear about the guy over in, uh, uh, I think it was Germany, he was a pastor that drowned? Because he believed hard enough and he felt like he could walk on water. Whoops. It's the dark side of myself coming out right there. Is that the benefit of doing miraculous things like that? Walking on water? Jesus said, if you believe, have faith like a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. What are the benefits? Love. Joy. Peace. Patience. Kindness. Serenity. Living your life like Christ will bring you those things. It will bring you a peaceful, a peace-filled life. I am, I am by nature a patient person. Just who God created me to be. He created me to be a patient guy. I was an elementary school teacher, and I had a high threshold of patience for stupidity in my classroom. Because, let's face it, elementary kids can be that way. I have a high threshold of patience. Last night, I failed in that. Last night, I ran into a wall with that. Now, we've been going through a lot over the past nine months, and, and things have really been kind of just intense in our house. But I'm the patient one. I'm the rock. I'm the one with very little emotion, negative or positive. Something great happens, cool. Something bad happens, eh, That's me. I'm unflappable. Last night I hit a wall. I lost the vision. I lost the benefit. 
the way I explained it to my wife is I said, you know those wine bottles that you stick a candle in and you burn the candle and the wax builds up on it, so you stick another candle in there and the wax builds up and it builds up and it gets bigger and bigger and thicker and thicker? I said, I feel like that's happening in my body, that it's just building upon me, building and building and building inside of me to where my patience threshold is like that now. It takes very little for me to lose my patience. And as I thought about that, I realized... That's because I lost the vision. That's because I lost sight of the way that Christ lives his life. That's because I lost sight of the benefit of living my life for Christ. Because if I truly was, if I truly were engrossed in it, that wax wouldn't be building up. My reservoir would be empty. It would be filled with the Spirit. You have to have the vision of what it is like, of what it looks like to live your life like Christ. And you've got to know the benefits. The love, the patience, the peace, the kindness, the serenity, the joy, the happiness that comes with living your life like Christ. So you've got to have the vision. The second thing you need is the intention. You have to actually intend to live your life like Christ. Slapping on a WWJD bracelet onto your arm and then going about your business is not necessarily the intention that God's looking for. It's not, you know, sticking one of those ichthus fish on the back of your car. Which y'all are just asking for trouble when you do that, because you know you cut people off, and then they see that, oh, you're one of those Christians, yes. Maybe you don't drive like I do. Um, But you have to intend to do it. How many of you, don't raise your hand, just raise your hand in your heart. How many of you every morning wake up in the morning and say, God, let me be more like you today? I want to live my life more like you today. Help me to be more like you and less of myself. Every morning before you get out of bed, those are the thoughts that go through your mind. The intention to live your moment, every moment of your day that day, to be more and more like Christ. Every moment. I do that on Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings before I get out of bed, I say, I pray. And I say, God, help me to be more like you today. Help me to say your words, not my own. Help me to be filled with your spirit so that people don't see me, that they see you. Help me to be more like you today. Every Sunday morning I do that. Then Monday rolls around. Whoops. And Tuesday rolls around. Kind of a Sunday thing for me sometimes. I don't know if it is for you. You have to be intentional in reaching for that vision. And you have to have a method in which to do it. You have to have a plan to carry that out. How are you actually going to be like Christ? How are you going to achieve that vision? How are you going to act on the intentions that you have? How did Jesus do it? How did he live his life in such a way? How did he achieve the patience and the love and the joy? Well, some of you might be thinking, um, Michael, I don't know if you have learned this in seminary, but he was God. It was easier for him. Okay, yeah, he was God, but he was also man. And he was faced with temptation like we are. He was faced with the choice of being lazy like we are or not. 
He was faced with the same things that we are faced with. And yet, he saw the vision. He saw the benefits. He had the intention. And he did it. What did he do? How did he do it? A few thoughts. First one is this, prayer. He started with prayer. Verse 35 of that Mark 1 says, The next morning Jesus awoke long before daybreak and went out alone into the wilderness to pray. The very first thing he did in the morning was to go by himself and pray. Very first thing. He didn't wake up John. John, it's time to get up, buddy. Matthew, let's get going. It's your turn to cook breakfast. He got up, he went out by himself and he prayed. God went out by himself and prayed. How many of you have a prayer time during the day? You don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you have just this time that you set aside to pray? Henry Nouwen suggests that if you truly want to do this, be in connection with God and be in communication with God, that you need to do three things in order to have this prayer time be effective. The first one he says is to have a specific time. Have a time set out every single day that is devoted to prayer. Specific time. If you have a Crackberry or a Trio or a Day Runner, whoever uses those anymore, have it on your calendar. A specific time. From 7 o'clock in the morning to 7.30 to 8 o'clock, whatever it is, that block of time is untouchable. Nothing can be scheduled in that time because that is my time for prayer. If I'm here at home, if I'm off at a conference, if I'm on vacation, it doesn't matter because every day on my calendar, that is the time for prayer. It doesn't have to be early in the morning like Jesus did it, but it has to be a specific, consistent time. The second thing, along with the time, is you got to have a spot, a place, a specific place to go to. Jesus went into the wilderness. When you read of him going off by himself, he goes off by himself somewhere, and he prays. You have to have a spot. I, I don't know if you're like me, and, and you're probably not. Um, if, I, if I go to certain places, there's no stinking way. I can focus. If I go to, like if Starbucks were my spot to go to, forget about it. Forget about it. I would get in there and I would be listening to everybody's conversation in that room. That's where I get most of my sermon material from. Are you kidding? You people are crazy. I couldn't do it. I could not go to some place like that and sit down and quiet and, and have that time. You have to have a place. When you enter that place, it's something different. It's not a place that you do normal stuff either. It's not a place like, it's not my brown leather chair in front of my TV. Because that's for watching the game. That's for watching TV. That's for playing my Xbox, whatever. you got to have a spot. Donna Shelley, one of our pastors on staff, has a chair in her room, in her bedroom at home. And it's her prayer chair. It's the chair that she goes to to read a devotional and to pray and to listen. That's all she does in that chair. Nothing else. That's her spot. Because along with this specific spot comes this third thing that Nowen suggests, and it is focus. 
It is focus. You have to be deliberately focused on what you're doing. Because I could go to the prayer chapel over here. Has anyone ever been into the, our little bitty prayer chapel? little round thing? Great little place to go. It's open 24 hours a day to just pray. And I, I've been in there before, and you sit down, and it's quiet, and I sit down with great intentions, and I'm going in there to have some quiet time with God, to, to hear from God, to talk to God. And, and, and what ends up happening is 20 minutes go by, and I'm thinking about tons of stuff. I am just, if they had like Ritalin and, you know, like I could just spray into my mouth before I would go into a prayer room, if right by the, like Catholics have holy water, if we could have a little bottle of Ritalin that I could just right there, boy, that would help me out so much. Because my, it takes me a long time to focus. It takes me a long time to get everything else away and out and to stop listening to the cars passing by on Bassey and wondering what kind of car that was. Oh, that sounded like a truck. Oh, there goes a motorcycle. Wonder where they're going. To erase everything. <laughs> Which tells you why I can't go to Starbucks. To erase everything and to sit and to focus on God. You have to be focused. You have to have that time. You have to have a place, and you've got to focus on it. Prayer is the first thing Jesus did in the morning. If he needs it, don't you think we do too? So prayer. The second thing is this, service. In Mark ten forty five, Jesus says, I came not to be served, but to serve. A lot of times we mess that up and say, I came not to serve, but to be served. <laughs> What can you do for me now? What have you done for me lately? Jesus came not to be served. The king of kings, the prince of peace, God here on earth, didn't come here to have people lay at his feet and bring him stuff. He came to lay at people's feet, to pick people up, to serve people, to go into places in the community where no one else would go, and to love. He came to serve came to get in the mess of the world and to show his light. There are two ways that you can have your spiritual growth be accelerated at warp speed. One is by serving. One is by going out into the community and serving. Those of you that have experienced a mission trip or a mission project of some sort know of what I speak. When you go and you serve, it is an amazing transformation in your life. Something amazing happens. Every time I've been on a mission project, I think that I'm going to serve and it helps me more. It changes me more than it does probably the people that I just served. God speaks to you and changes your heart and he shapes who you are as you go out and you do his work. The second way to get your spiritual gear in motion is to experience a family or personal crisis. Wouldn't serving be better? Get out there and serve. It will accelerate and pump up your spiritual life like you can't imagine. So prayer, service, and fellowship is the next one. We can't do it alone. We can't do it alone. When Jesus Christ gave the Great Commission, and he said, Go therefore into all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to obey all that I command you. He didn't look at Peter and say, Peter, all right, dude, this is you. This is you, Peter. You're the one. You go out. And t-. 
He looked at all of us. He said, y'all, because Jesus was Southern. (laughs) Y'all go out to all the world. It's you. You are my body. Not one person. One person is not the body of Christ. One person is not the church. One person is not the plan of salvation that God has left here on earth. It is all of us. And we must do it together. Because quite honestly, it's too hard to do it alone. There's too much work. There's too much hurt. There's too much enemy out there to do it alone. When you experience the crises in life and your spiritual life is just going full forward. If you're by yourself, you won't be able to handle it. Over the past nine months, Jenna and I have experienced, almost embarrassingly, the love of God through the body of Christ. It has been so humbling to hear the prayers, to feel the prayers, to know that people are praying for us and thinking about us and walking through this with us. Grace has her own website. She's nine months old, has uh, a lot of problems going on everywhere, but she can use a, a Mac Pro, and she's very adept at making websites, and she has her own blog. It's amazing how fast she types, too. Um, she, uh, and basically, the re- I did it, just to let you know. It's not her. Um, I know some of y'all were thinking that. You're like, Gage, what the heck are you doing? You're sleeping. Um, <laughs> sleeves like this. Oh, <laughs> So is David over there. Um, <clears throat> basically, I, I've put a blog on there for Grace. And yes, I write in Grace's name and everything. And she's got my sense of humor um, and hopefully her mother's sensibility. But I, I keep people updated on what's going on in her life. Uh, you know, we have a lot of family and a lot of friends who ask us questions. And got to a point where I just said, you know what? I want to put this out and let people go to that. Because quite honestly, a lot of times I'm, I'm tired of telling um, and so this is the way that we'll keep people updated. And the other thing that we've done is to, to just say what we've learned, what God's shown us through our daughter, through some doctors, through the body of Christ surrounding us, different things that Jenna and I have personally grown in our faith with, and Grace too, because um, she is the author of it. Uh, but one of the things I added on there was this email link, email me. And people have emailed Grace. In fact, she got an email from... Uh, from Times Square um, a few weeks ago. Somebody was in Times Square and emailed her, uh, which was really cool. But the words that people have said, the prayers that they have sent, people that are in our family, people that are our friends, and people that we don't even know, the things that they have sent have been tremendously supportive. And there's no way that Jenna and I could have gone through this without that, without the body of Christ. We must be together together as we move forward in this world, trying to serve God. You have to have fellowship. You have to have that time together with other believers who build you up and who you build up as well. You have to have the fellowship, the small groups that Andy Birchfield can help you with after the service, get you connected. You have to be together. (laughs) That's just so funny. (laughs) For those of you all in the front, this little guy is tiptoeing down the aisle. Um, that's right. Turn around. <laughs> and he's gone. Wow. I'll be hearing about that one later. Fellowship. And, uh, and which leads me to the last one, which I need right now is forgiveness. <laughs> you have to forgive. 
because we are all together, because we are needed by each other, we're going to mess up. We're going to let each other down. We're going to disappoint each other. And so you have to forgive. The words of Jesus Christ on the cross ring, ring out so true. Father, forgive them. On the cross, looking at the very people who hung him there, the people that were hurling insults at him, casting lots for his clothes, laughing, spitting upon him, saying all these terrible things, Jesus looks at them, Father, forgive them. And you think somebody saying something trivial about you is bad. If we are to be the body of Christ together, carrying forth the vision of God, we have to forgive one another. Because we will fail each other. I fail my wife all the time, I'm sure, and she always has to forgive me. Because God makes her. Because that's who we are. If you're living your life like Christ, you're in prayer, you're in service, you're in fellowship, and you're forgiving. Capture the vision of what Christ looks like, of his life by reading the gospel. Make it your life's goal to be that way and begin to do it. And I guarantee you, without a doubt, that you will see changes in your family and yourself and your friends and in this world as we all begin to live the vision of Christ and become just like Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the example of the life that you lived here on earth. The life of a Savior, the life of a man. Father, we thank you. We ask that you give us the discipline, the courage that it takes to live our life for you, to live our life like yours. God, give us all we need to truly be your disciples and to truly change this world. Because as we get that vision and we live it out in our lives, we will because you said so. Father, we thank you and praise you in the name of Jesus. Amen.